Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, and welcome to the Whispering Woods podcast. I'm Sarah. And I am Toby. And we are on episode number 17. This episode is all about... Bigfoot. It sure is. I love Bigfoot. Yeah. I I really do. I do, I do, I do believe in Bigfoot. There is too. But I love Bigfoot. So, this is the... No, it's not. But this is the second podcast episode but the first one we've recorded in the new year um we did a bit of quickly recording so we could have a little bit of a break over christmas so we hope you all had a lovely festive season whatever you were doing um i'm glad it's over i can't really stand christmas and the new year i'm glad to get back to normal i've actually been watching on new year's eve I went completely untraditional with Rog. We were in bed by half past ten and missed the lot. But we watched a documentary series called A Sasquatch, which was awesome. It's probably more one for the adults, though, because it's like a hybrid of um, Bigfoot and true crime. There, there, you know, there are murders involved. But really recommend that for the adults, adult listeners. Um, also, we started watching Shining Girls, which is really good. Jamie Bell's in it, and he's so unnerving in his role. It's really scary. It's not horror in the normal sense. It's about a serial killer through the ages, and it's kind of sci-fi. We've only got halfway through. We binge-watched four episodes on the first night, and I highly recommend that to anybody um, it's on Apple Plus. What have you watched over this over the holiday? Oh uh, well, I went to cinema with Dad, didn't we? Mm-hmm. And I watched Avatar. Yeah, the second one. Did you enjoy it? Yeah, it was good. Would you recommend it? Yeah, and I've got a review review from Fantiki eighty three, one of the best. So I've just 
binge listen to all 13 episodes. And to be honest, I'm gutted there isn't more yet. I can't wait to hear what comes next. I'm also looking forward to the Christmas special Victorian story. Sarah has an amazing story telling voice and Toby's contributions are fantastic. An amazing duo. The sounds in the stories bring a special something. I absolutely love it. This is one of only two podcasts I currently listen to. Shout out to Real Life Ghost Stories who played your promo and brought me here. Absolutely fantastic. I hope you continue for a very long time. Lots of love from my husband and you. Oh, that's so lovely, isn't it? Yeah. Thank you. you. Uh, My husband and I, that's so sweet. Thank you for spending the time as well. And yes, an extra special thank you to Emma over on Real Life Ghost Stories. She's amazing. And I want to give a quick shout out to Chris. He wrote a lovely message to us the other day on Facebook. He says, hi, guys. Just wanted to say I'm a big fan of the podcast. Your unique style of storytelling both fascinates and terrifies me. Keep up the good work. That's so lovely, Chris. I I think it's a good thing that we're terrifying you. I hope. (laughs) Right. Shall we move on to the introduction? Yes, we should. Okay. Let's do this. First of all, I just want to say this is a massive subject. You know, we wouldn't be able to cover it all in one episode. So we will we'll revisit some of these other Bigfoot creatures around the world. Bigfoot, also known as Sasquatch, has a long history of sightings in North America and is deeply embedded in the stories of the indigenous peoples of the Pacific Northwest Coast. Tales of wild bipedal creatures also exist throughout the world, with similar simian entities being reported in many regions, such as the Yeti in Asia, who is said to roam the Himalayan mountain region, sometimes known as the Abominable Snowman. The Yeren of the mountainous regions of China, the Yawi from Aboriginal folklore that haunts the Australian outback, the Hibigon who stalks Mount Hibi in the Hiroshima prefecture in Japan, the Almus of the mountain regions of Central Asia and the Altai Mountains of Western Mongolia, and the Skunk Ape that inhabits the forests and swamps of the southeastern United States most notably Florida. Closer to home, the European Wildman or Woodworth stories date back to pre-Christian times and are said to live in the forests, with one such legend in the region of Dorset in the southwest of England. A Woodworth is said to inhabit the Yellowham Woods of Dorchester, and tales of this creature have been passed down for generations as part of local folklore. These savage, hairy, humanoid beings would prey on young maidens, carrying them off into the forest. The Woodwows became a convenient scapegoat for numerous love children, those born out of wedlock, with folklorist Aubrey L. Park recounting on one case being brought before the Dorchester magistrates. The expectant unmarried mother proclaimed, Please, your worshipfuls, twere the man of the alum. 
More recently, in the summer of 2014, Paul and Adam Bird, two BBR members, BBR being the British Bigfoot Research Organisation, went to Yellowham Woods to investigate. They spent two evenings in the forest and used the clapping technique. The clapping was reciprocated with some responsive tree knocking, which is a well-known Bigfoot phenomena, and something was thought to be following them through the woods. They also discovered possible tree breakage, a stick structure and some large impressions in the mud that may have been footprints. They also heard loud, whooping howls. The legends of Bigfoot existed long before the much more modern sightings, and on the Tool River Indian Reservation, there are a number of petroglyphs created by the Yokut tribe, one of which is said to depict a group of Bigfoot that are known as the family. The local tribespeople call the largest of the glyphs Hairy Man, and they're estimated at between 500 to 1,000 years old. 16th century Mexican settlers and Spanish explorers in California also told stories of large creatures that stalked through their camps at night. They referred to them as Los Vigilantes Oscuros, or Dark Watchers. And in 1721, a French Jesuit priest reported sightings of creatures that lived in the forest. They were hairy and were known to scream loudly and steal livestock. The Chehalis, indigenous people of British Columbia, Canada, speak of a shape-shifting creature that protects the forest called Sasquets, meaning hairy man, with Sasquatch being the anglicised version of this name. The name Bigfoot was first coined in 1958 after Jerry Crew, a logging company's bulldozer operator, discovered a set of overly large footprints in the mud of Six Rivers National Forest. The workers soon used the name Bigfoot to describe the culprit and later went on to inform the Humboldt Times that initially the crew believed someone was playing a prank on them. But then a heavy oil drum moved mysteriously and numerous tracks had been spotted in and around the area. This, along with the local legends of wild, hairy men, would soon inform the national press, and the term Bigfoot became widespread. There have been over 10,000 recorded sightings of Bigfoot, according to Live Science, and some behaviours that have been observed are as follows. Bigfoot will throw rocks to protect its territory, Wood knocking, as previously stated, is also used as a form of communicating. You may see structures built of twisted branches and foliage placed in specific areas. Small uprooted trees could be a sign that a Bigfoot is around, and sometimes they are stacked or weaved in patterns which some believe to be territorial markings. There have also been reports of whole deer skeletons being found suspended high up in trees and purportedly nests have been found which, when studied by primatologists, it was concluded they had been made by primates. A little link in the podcast description 
to YouTube where you can see the Yellowham investigation for yourselves. What, so they reckon there's a Bigfoot around here? Yeah, not far in Dorset. Mm. So I'm going to try and book us a cheap holiday down in Weymouth so we can go and do a bit of knocking. Yeah. <laughs> and see what happens. We'll go up at, like, you know, just before it gets dark and do some knocking and Bigfoot hunting. Actually, they call it Sasquatching. Yeah, Sasquatching. We can become... Sasquatching? Yeah, Sasquatchers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not watching the birds. We're not tweeting. No. <laughs> Twitching. We're Sasquatching. I love it. I really do. Right, so I've got three stories to share today. They're quite short. Um, and we'll start with the first one, which is the Battle of Ape Canyon. This is like um, an infamous case of Bigfoot attacking. Mm-hmm. So are you ready for the first story? Yes, I am. Let's do it. Fred Beck had been prospecting the area of Mount St. Helens in southwest Washington for six years and had occasionally come across large animal tracks by creek beds and springs. But in mid-July of 1924, he and a group of fellow miners would finally meet the creatures making these tracks and a vicious night-long attack would ensue. This terrifying encounter would later be dubbed the Battle of Ape Canyon. Fred and four others, including Hank, a well-experienced hunter, were mining a deep canyon in a remote area of Washington State, two miles east of Mount St. Helens. Fred began to suffer from an intense toothache and knew that he had no way of getting back into town to be seen by a dentist, unless Hank drove him. But Hank, being so enthused by his haul, hardly took the time to answer Fred's request, merely stating that God or the devil cannot get him away from there. Eventually, the five men downed tools for the day and headed back to their cabin on the north side of the canyon. Hank was still suffering from the pain in his tooth and with no real appetite for the evening meal, was glad to accompany Hank when he went for water at a nearby spring. Hank had been feeling apprehensive all week as the men had been hearing strange whistling noises accompanied by a thudding sound reminiscent of a gorilla thumping its chest. The sound, which could only be described as a call, had been heard coming from one of the ridges, but then they'd hear another call from the opposite ridge, as if in answer. And after seeing more of the large tracks, the largest measuring 19 inches long, Hank knew they hadn't been made by any animal known to him. The men agreed to take their rifles along with them to fetch the water just to be on the safe side, and thank goodness they did. As they approached the spring, which was no more than a hundred yards from the cabin, Hank yelled and raised his rifle as something in the distance, and that's when Fred saw it. A hairy, 
tall creature that stood around seven feet tall. It was about a hundred yards away from them on the other side of the small canyon, stood underneath a pine tree. It immediately dodged behind the tree and then poked its head out to the other side. Hank shot at it three times and it disappeared from view, but only briefly as it then reappeared racing down the canyon. It was upright in a bipedal stance and it was fast. Fred also shot at the beast another three times before they hurried back to the cabin with their water. Having heard the commotion, Fred and Hank breathlessly relayed their encounter to the other men and they all agreed they would head home the next morning. As soon as the sun rose, as darkness would soon be setting in and no one wanted to risk being caught out by whatever that thing was. The men settled into the cabin for the night, trusting that it would keep them safe. The cabin had been built by the men and was extremely sturdy, with one long bunk for two men to sleep toe-to-toe and enough room for the other three men to sleep on the pine boughs on the floor. There were no windows in the cabin, and with the soft light from a crude fireplace built at the back of the shack, the men soon fell asleep. Even Fred's toothache now forgotten after all of the excitement of the day. Around midnight, there had been a tremendous thud on one side of the cabin. The noise had been so loud it had awoken all of the men with a start. Hank began yelling and kicking as some of the chinking was knocking loose from between the cabin locks, falling across his chest. He was waving his rifle about in confusion and terror. Fred got up to help Hank brush off the chinking, and at this point they heard a great commotion outside. It was like loud footsteps, but from numerous pairs of feet. They were stamping and trampling over a pile of unused shakes. Grabbing their guns, Hank squinted through the gaps left by the missing chinking and saw three of the creatures prowling around outside of the cabin. The men only ever saw three of the animals together, though they would attest it sounded like many more. The beasts began to throw rocks at the cabin, some falling through the chimney and into the fireplace. But the only time the men shot their guns was when under obvious attack. The attacks would happen and then it would quieten down for a time. And Fred figured if they only shot when they were being attacked, the creatures would hopefully realise that they were only doing this to defend themselves. The men also had to ensure their attackers didn't gain entry through the huge log door as they were pushing against it, with the door vibrating from the impact. They took a long pole from one of the bunk beds and used it to brace the door. The creatures also took to climbing on the roof and with Hank and Fred being the main shooters, the other three men crouched at the far end of the cabin in a state of shock, paralysed by fear. At one point, Hank said to the creatures, If you leave us, we'll leave you alone and we'll go home in the morning, in the hope they would understand. The attack continued through the night and ended just before daylight. One particularly frightening event happened when one of the creatures 
put its hands through the gap in the chinking and attempted to grab one of the men's axes. Fred quickly turned the axe so that it got caught by the handle and Hank shot at the beast, just missing Fred's hand and the creature let go. In the morning, the men left the cabin, leaving expensive supplies behind as it was far better to lose them than lose their lives. Packing only their pack sacks, the men dashed for the car, but one of the things was stood about 80 yards away, near the edge of the canyon. Fred shot at it, and it toppled over the cliff and down into the gorge. The men loaded into the car and then headed to the ranger station at Spirit Lake and reported the incident. And when they got home, all of the men agreed to keep the evening's events to themselves. But Hank couldn't and soon let it out of the bag. The story was then leaked to the papers and the great ape hunt of 1924 began. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. So they're mining for gold. They were. So back in the day, um, there were loads of people prospecting for gold, which is basically mining for gold. Um, so they'd go off in groups and they'd find like a stash of gold and they'd go and retrieve it. So this group were out there doing that when they got attacked by a herd of Bigfoot. I don't know if that's the correct name to call a group of Bigfoot, but we'll go with it. Pretty scary, you know? Yeah. Now, there were lots of people who say it was false, it didn't happen, um, but I absolutely believe it. Believe everything. That's what I say. Makes life more magical. <laughs> Have you seen those videos all over the internet where this guy, he said um, his, his ancestor or something killed I mean, what his ancestor did, his like, granddad or something. Mm-hmm. He hunted Bigfoot and they've kept, they've kept his body parts in the freezer. And right. like, there's actually been videos of like his, like we've actually seen it. 
Oh. And, like, like, you can see his head and his eyes and all that on the boom. But uh, nobody knows. Mm. Nobody knows if it's real or not because it came out of nowhere. It's these random people who are just showing their big Bigfoot mm. frozen up. Well, there is a bit of, you know, people do say, why do we never see a dead, dead Bigfoot if they're out in the woods? On the documentary I was watching the other day, they do say, when do you ever come across a dead black bear? I mean, mm. I w- we don't know because we don't have bears here, but I doubt if it's a daily occurrence. Because I was also saying to Rog, I only just realised at the tender age of 48 that deer's antlers regrow every year. Did you mm. know that? Well, I think I knew something about their <laughs> antlers growing, but I didn't know. I didn't that know grow that. Back every year. Yeah, and how? but how often... Now, we live in, in quite a wooded area, don't we? Mm. How often do you come across a deer's antler? Well, never never exactly. really come across deers with antlers here. Only just normal deer. Oh, no, we have deers with antlers, but we n- I've never... Stags. <laughs> but I've never, ever... And I walk loads. No, I've never came across one. No. Come across a normal deer, hmm. but nothing with antlers. Have you not seen... Oh, okay. I haven't, like, Ashton Court yeah. because they got... Yeah, yeah, but but what I mean is, how often have you seen an antler that's dropped off and you've just seen it lying on the floor? Never. It doesn't happen. So, from my logic, I conclude there could be Bigfoot. Just Mm. because you don't see their carcasses doesn't mean they're not out there. Plus, when I've been watching documentaries, people have found hairs and had them analysed and they do not know what they've come from. Mm. Okay, so just believe in Bigfoot. Yeah. Right, are you ready for this second story? Yes, I am. It's slightly different, um, but it's quite interesting because it also happens on Mount St. Helen. What, by each canyon? Indeed, indeed. In May of 1950, a 20-strong group of climbers made their way to Mount St. Helens in Washington. After completing their climb, it was time to make their way down. Jim Carter, a 32-year-old experienced skier and mountaineer, advised the group that he would ski around to the left of them so that he could get a picture as they skied down to the timberline. With that, Tim skied off down the mountain, but as his fellow explorers would observe, there was something incredibly wrong with Tim's descent. He took off as if something terrifying was chasing him, more a death-defying dash. Such a high calibre of skier would never needlessly ski in such a way, unless there was something terribly wrong. He jumped over two to three large crevices It was like the devil himself was chasing him. That was the last time anyone would see Tim alive. The search for him went on for two weeks and included experienced search and rescue teams. Not a trace of the unfortunate Tim was ever found. Only an empty camera film box at the point he had taken the group picture. Tim's tracks were retraced and there was evidence that he had been in such a hurry He had gone straight down the steep canyon walls. And when search and rescue teams went to the bottom of the canyon, 
no body was found. A plane also took flight to trace his tracks, but they disappeared into the wilderness. Carter's complete disappearance is an unsolved mystery to this day, declared Bob Lee, a member of the Seattle Mountain Search and Rescue Unit, who was involved in the operation to find him. Bob was a highly experienced mountaineer with membership of the very exclusive Worldwide Alpine Club and the leader of the 1961 Himalayan expedition. But rather chillingly, he also reported that every time he moved away from the rest of the rescue group, he got a feeling that somebody was watching me and there was something strange on the high slopes of the mountain. Moreover, he reported it was the most eerie experience I've ever had. I could feel the hair on my neck standing up. It was eerie. I was unarmed, except for my ice axe. And believe me, I never let go of that. We combed the canyon, one end to the other, for five days. Sometimes there were as many as 75 persons in the search party. But no sign of Carter or his equipment was found, he said. After two weeks, the search was called off. Well, that is quite freaky, isn't it? That's really freaky, especially because one of the rescuers said that, you know, like, like the story says, he felt something watching him when he was out there looking. I wonder if, if, you know, I personally don't believe that Bigfoot hurts people. But then if they're like humans, you're going to get bad ones and you're going to get good ones. Yeah. Yeah. I've met Bigfoot before. Yeah? Where? Mount, uh, on a hill. Yeah? On a mountain. <laughs> he's, he's, he was chilling. Yeah? He's led down outside the tree, but he was dying. Oh. And he was the last one of his kind. Was they? So yeah. well, they've died out now. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I just, I do. I think they get territorial, you know, and don't want us coming too close to them um, and like where they're living. But I don't think generally they're nasty. Mm. Someone could be nice. Yeah, I do. Like I said, like we get serial killers. Yeah. Yeah. So they're not the norm, thankfully, but. They are out there. So I think it's the same kind of thing. You get the good ones, you get the good Bigfoot, and you get the nasty. Right, are you ready for the third and final story? Yes, I am. Throughout the day, we take our two dogs outside to their kennels so they can get out of the house for a while and run and play and such. These are not small dogs. One is a black lab husky mix and the other one is a full-blooded Staffordshire terrier, Pitbull. The kennels are placed at the edge of the yard near the woods. These woods are big, large enough to take a day to go hiking through them. Lately, when it gets dark, the dogs seem on edge. They will bark and whine toward the house to come in. At first I figured they just wanted to get back into the house, but now I'm thinking they're actually scared. Three nights ago, 
When I went to get them, it was already dark, but we have a security light, so it isn't pitch black or anything. I got to the front of the first kennel and noticed both dogs were being quiet. They always bark at me excitedly when I go to get them, but they were dead silent. This weirded me out a little, but not to the point of being scared. I will admit that there was a certain uneasiness in the air, though. Something I can't explain, but it sort of felt electric, like I was about to be shocked. The longer I was there, the more uneasy I felt. I started getting the first dog, the lab, out, and heard a heavy snap in the woods near the kennels. I froze. The dogs froze. By this time, I was so on edge that if someone had spoken, I would have jumped, screamed and possibly run. The creepy feeling in the air just kept getting thicker. The lab had her bushy tail stuffed underneath her and was whining. This didn't make me feel any better. The pit bull was as far away from the woods as she could get, whimpering for me to come get her. I can only take one dog in at a time because they get too excited and will sometimes try to fight, so I avoid that at all costs. I felt so bad leaving the pity there by herself, but I just had to do it. As I walked away, she sparked this high-pitched whining type of bark at me that I have never heard her do before. The lab couldn't get to the house quick enough. I went back for the other one and dreaded every step as her door is right at the base of the woods. I would have to turn my back to the woods to open her door and get her out. The air felt heavy and stale with an unpleasant smell like a dead skunk as I approached the kennel. Another snap and I was about ready to run for it, but I didn't want to leave my dog, who had her head down, defensively facing the woods. I could barely make it, To be honest, it felt like trying to walk through water. I was terrified by the time I reached the door. I heard heavy breathing behind me as I got my dog out. She was scared too, but started growling behind me. I was frozen in place. The breathing continued for a minute before I heard steps coming towards us. We both took off at the same time. A terrifying scream came out of the base of the woods. Didn't dare look back, I just ran. My pity pulled me all the way back to the house. I got in, flipped off all the lights and stared out the window at the woods. I could see something moving slightly, but just out of the light. It moved back and forth for about five minutes and then it disappeared. It took me forever to fall asleep that night because I was so scared that every little noise freaked me out. The next night, I went to get the dogs earlier, right around dusk. I thought all was good until I was getting my pity out. A huge snapping sound, like a tree branch had just been snapped in half, rang out. It sounded pretty far away, so I just hurriedly got my dog and started towards the house. A few steps away from the kennel, I heard something big start charging towards me from inside the woods. We ran again, and it appeared to follow for so long 
then retreated back. Now every time since then, I hear sounds coming out of the woods, like branches breaking and being thrown around, knocking on trees and roaring. I'm absolutely terrified. I no longer even take my dogs down. I just take them for walks during the day and make sure we're all in before dusk. I don't know what to do. I'm thinking about buying a gun, but I'm not sure it will help. So, you reckon the dogs saw it? I reckon dogs that definitely have heightened senses, obviously. Yeah, and they see ghosts. Yeah, well. exactly. And cats do. So, just being an animal, they would, you know, be able to sense something. And I think, you know, obviously we do, but we don't need to use that sense very often. But sometimes we'll, you know, have you ever felt, felt like somebody's watching you or yeah that, that the, you're not alone it's those senses that you know don't rely on as much anymore to tell us we're in danger um so yeah dogs would dogs definitely still use that now a lot of bigfoot apparently will charge at you they don't like attack you then they charge at you and it's obviously just to make you run Mm. because they're protecting they may have young you know there may be little yeah they're just families as well they're trying to get through life like we are exactly and they could be protecting their baby baby bigfoots you know so I can definitely empathise with that because I'm like a mama bigfoot when it comes to my children (laughs) (laughs) even though I'm only five foot two and you're all taller than me so these things are seen quite a lot through the world then? Yeah, all over the place. There are, you know, there are folklore surrounding wild men, giants and, and stuff like that. You see it all over the place. We have yeah. like the woodwows here, the wild man, most of Europe. But then you have like the Yeti, all of them, all different names, but sightings all over the world. It's fascinating. Yeah. Okay, well, I guess that brings us to the end of this episode. Please stay tuned and let us know what you would like to hear. Yeah, if you want to send us over an email with your true stories or just about any topics you want to hear about, please email to the Whispering Woods Podcast at gmail.com. Also, in the show notes, we will have links to our social media. <laughs> to us I can't say it to our social media if you'd like to come over and join us okay so that's it for now take care everyone goodbye hi I'm Daniel founder of Pretty Litter cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter that's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bolinbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.